Greetings, friends and brethren. This is Dr. Bob Teal welcoming you to the Feast of Tabernacles 2021. This is the opening night message for the Continuing Church of God and others who are interested. If you're attending the Feast of Tabernacles, why are you here? Well, some of the obvious reasons are various scriptures talking about commands, and I'll read those. But are there other reasons? Are you supposed to be unhappy at the Feast, rejoice at the Feast, learn from the Feast? Anyway, first of all, Let's go to the book of Leviticus and read one of the commands. Leviticus chapter 23. We're going to read verses 33 and 34. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. So we see there's something called the Feast of Tabernacles. Now let's go to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 16. I'm going to start reading in verse 13. You shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days, when you've gathered from your threshing floor and from your winepress. And you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, and the Levite, the stranger and the fatherless, and the widow who are within your gates. Seven days you shall keep a sacred feast to the Lord your God in the place which, he, which the Lord chooses, because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce, and all the work of your hands, so that you may surely rejoice. Being commanded is not the only reason. One of the reasons that we're at the feast is because it's a foretaste of the millennial kingdom of God. And that's not some new invention or new idea that popped up in the 20th or 21st centuries, but it was actually reported by the Greco-Roman scholar and doctor of their church, uh, Jerome, I said in the 4th and 5th centuries, there were people who kept the Sabbath, didn't eat unclean meat, they kept the Feast of Tabernacles, and it pictured the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Now, what are we supposed to do at the feast? Let's go to Deuteronomy, this time back up a couple of pages to chapter 14. Let's go to verse 23. And you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide the tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil of the firstborn of your herds and flocks that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. So you're supposed to eat, but you're also supposed to learn. Is it learning just for you? Well, it certainly includes you, but also you are to learn so you'll be able to teach and to instruct many. Now, back to Deuteronomy 14. This time we're going to pick up in verse 25. you shall exchange it for money, take the money in your hand, and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses, and you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, for wine or similar drink. For whatever your heart desires, you shall eat there before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. Of course, you're not supposed to overdrink, but you are supposed to rejoice. Now, why should you rejoice at the feast? Well, obviously, we see it's specifically commanded by God. Look, we all like to be happy. God designed us that way. And He knows that happiness is a great state for us to be in. 1 Timothy 1.11 calls God the blessed God. Now, according to Clayton Steep of the old Worldwide Church of God, 
word blessed here can actually mean happy or that God is the happy God. And that's the way he wants us to learn always. He wants us to be this way. He ordained his commandments and his laws for the purpose of producing and preserving happiness so we can make eternity better for ourselves and everyone else. In 1 Thessalonians 5.16, the Apostle Paul wrote that we are to rejoice always. Of course, Paul would be one of the first who would agree that there are various tests and trials in this life. Matter of fact, let's go to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to pick this up in verse 28. Despite the tests and trials, Paul wrote, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. Whom He called, these He also justified. Whom He justified, these also glorified. Yes, if we're faithful, all will work out, and we win in the end. Now, let's go to James chapter 1. James wrote that we should be able to rejoice even in trials. James 1, starting in verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let the patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Keeping the Feast of Tabernacles shows that you're willing to make a commitment to do what God says, even though the world does not. And even if you have difficulty getting here to the feast, because of transportation or jobs or school or health or whatever, family reasons or whatever, we're supposed to strive to be joyous. In Philippians 4, starting verse 4, the Apostle Paul emphasized we're supposed to rejoice and to be gentle. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Now, if that's supposed to be true all year round, particularly it should be true at the Feast of Tabernacles. Throughout the Bible, we see we're supposed to rejoice, and as I mentioned at the beginning, Leviticus 23 talks about we're supposed to rejoice at the Feast as to other scriptures. Not only should you, as an individual, rejoice, you should help others rejoice. The feast is a time to, to come together with members of your family to worship the Creator. It's a family occasion. For those who are alone, not part of them, who have members of their physical family, the brethren are their spiritual family, and they should be included in rejoicing as well. Everyone should have a happy time. God's church is one family. There shouldn't be hard feelings among his members. 
during a feast or any other time for that matter. No discourtesy, no competing for advantage, no selfishness, only seeking to give and serve in the unity of the Spirit. You know, it says in Psalm 133, verse 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell in unity. Each of us, as much as lies within us, should assure that not one unpleasant incident mars the feast for ourselves or anyone else. I want to go to Romans 12, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. There should only be peace and rejoicing. The holy days are rich with true meaning. Rejoice in that meaning and have a good time within the bounds of God's law. That's the rule for the feast. Rejoice about the past. Whatever your background is, whatever kind of life you had before becoming a Christian, uh, rejoice about the experiences you've had and the lessons you've learned. Be thankful for that which was pleasant and profitable. And for those things that were not, be thankful that they're in the past. Since you have a new life in Christ, leave, you're to leave behind all sins and mistakes of your former life. We're going to go to Psalm 32. Read the first couple of verses. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. Rejoice about the experience you've had so far in your Christian life. Think about what God's done for you, the times He's helped you, the strength He's given you, the lessons He's taught you. Take time to recall and profit from them. One of the reasons that you dwell in temporary dwellings during the Feast of Tabernacles is to learn lessons which will qualify you for an eternal inheritance. Rejoice that God is working out salvation in your life, but also has a plan to call others in the age to come. Rejoice about the present. Feast of Tabernacles is an excellent time to take inventory of your blessings, or to count your blessings, to be thankful for them, and tell others about them. Now, while you're not prohibited from talking about worldly politics, remember, part of the purpose of the feast is a foretaste of the coming kingdom of God, which is beyond human politics. The world and its leaders, not one of them, are the solution. Now, sometimes you might get together and find your conversations are always stuck on trivia. Uh, and sometimes that will happen. You can talk about various things, but also things that you're thankful for. Do it in a natural way, you know, like not just being boisterous or proud or whatever. You know, like, and do things like testimonies other churches do. Trying to be some kind of a witness for the Lord as they term it. But express gratitude and want to understand what other brethren have gone through and why they're here. God listens to such conversations. 
In a note in the Book of Remembrance, as it mentioned in Malachi 3.16, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a Book of Remembrance was written before him, for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. As far as topics go, you could be one who starts the ball rolling. You'd be surprised how you can change the whole tenor of a conversation. If it doesn't change, maybe you need to figure out to rejoice a different place or somewhere else. You can also be an ambassador at the Feast of Tabernacles. We shouldn't be leaving it, of course. Also, is how you live during the Feast of Tabernacles. People in hotels and areas and restaurants might notice who you are. Be the right example. And also, one thing I always encourage people to do is if you can, talk to everybody at the feast, every single person, if you can, including children and old people and whatever. Be thankful for that God is, the fact that God has called you and you're among those who've been personally and individually selected to be called in this age to support God's work of salvation now. Be thankful for uh, being granted the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Church, the brethren, and also for the physical blessings that you have. Now it's easy to rejoice everything is going fine. What about problems? And you might have major problems when you come back from the feast. When you face an obstacle, uh, persecution or physical pain, you're going to just give up. I'll say, God's not with me. But uh, you know, what level are your problems? Are they basically on a physical material level? That is a temporary situation that will be gone after you're resurrected. And of course, what we face these days will be gone. No one can rob you of the internal inheritance God has planned for you if you will endure. So let's keep things in perspective. You know, one of the reasons we're in temporary dwellings is to remind us that we're uh, only pilgrims. And it's not just us. This has been throughout the church age and uh, prior to the time of the New Testament. As a matter of fact, we can read about that in Hebrews 11, starting verse 13. But we talked about various leaders. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things plainly declare plainly they seek a homeland. And this reminds me of something from the 42nd Psalm, starting verse 1. Actually, verse 4. When I remember these things, I pour out my spirit within me. For I used to go with a multitude. I went with them to the house of God. With a voice, the joy of, with voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. A pilgrim feast? What was meant by that? That was a reference to Feast Tabernacles, was, uh, or one of the God's holy days. It was not a reference to, for example, what's called Thanksgiving in the, the United States. Pilgrims are travelers, of sojourners for religious reasons. 
uh, you know, many realize that in the 16th century uh, there were people who left the Netherlands because of religious persecution and they went to uh, the British Isles and they end up coming over here. And most of them, by the way, were basically in a group called separatists. And they uh, were separate from the rest of the world and they lived separately. And while we live in the world, we're not supposed to be of it. And the Feast of Tabernacles, we're getting together in a way that the world simply does not do this. Now, as long as people are uh, pilgrims, they realize they're not in a their permanent residence. They're on the move. We should be on the move spiritually. Uh, ones who came to the New World were on the move physically, and the time will come when a decree will be issued and it will be time to flee the land that you're in to someplace else if you're a Philadelphian Christian and will respond to the call. We live in this world and we're physical. We need to be careful. We need to stop letting this limited, transitory, earthly sphere dominate our thoughts. We're supposed to set our mind on things that are above. Let's go, I'm going to go to Colossians uh, 3, starting verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden in Christ with God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. How well we do that will partially, at least partially, determine how much we'll rejoice even during tests and trials. If our eyes are full of faith and we're looking at Jesus the Christ for deliverance, He will provide at the time that's best for us, not necessarily the time we think is best for us. I want to go to Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 35. There's no problem in this world that can take our salvation from us against our will. Romans 8.35, the Apostle Paul wrote, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Verse 37. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither life... That Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now we should rejoice also in God's laws, God's way of life. Now Paul admitted in Romans 7, that his nature was contrary to God's laws. But he wrote in Romans 7, verse 22, But I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. Or as David expressed it in Psalm 19, verse 8, The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. If you've been in God's church for any length of time, you no doubt know what an exhilarating experience it is when you live Right, do everything right according to God's instructions. Things will work out. You wonder, why can't you do it more often? Well, you can. We need to put more effort into it. 
After all, what's more important during this short period of time we're dwelling in the tabernacles of flesh than to learn to obey and enlighten God's laws? Now we also should rejoice in the future. As God's children, our lot is eternal inheritance. It's not this life. Our hopes to awaken the resurrection will be instantly changed at the second coming of Jesus. We should never lose sight of this great occasion. At the feast, we celebrate the fact that this fleeting life is not all there is. Far from it, what really counts is a life to come. And only what leads to that life is what matters now. Now, if at the feast location you're at this year, you have a view of the stars and the night sky, take some time to look at them, the weather allows it. Gaze at the heavens. Let your mind try to encompass all those lights. There's so many... It's, the universe is so huge with billions and billions and probably trillions of stars. And who knows what's beyond what they can see with telescopes. Yet God comprehends all of it. He created all of it. He controls all of it. Can you imagine yourself someday stepping out of the physical existence that now confines you and he having eternity along with God who does so read in Isaiah and sharing the inheritance of all things with Jesus the Christ we'll try to imagine it get used to this idea because it's your future it's going to happen if you remain faithful to your calling the cheap thrills or tinsel this world has to offer can't compare it to the glory state which we shall enter. The Feast of Tabernacles helps picture this wonderful time. I want to go to uh, Psalm 89, read verse 15 and 16. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all day long, and in your righteousness they are exalted. Now, Clayton Steep wrote that that joyful sound was sometimes translated as a trumpet sound, or as it's rendered in uh, the uh, English Standard Version of the Bible, a festal shout. So this joyful sound is related to God's holy days. Now, I remember a story that I heard, and I looked, looked it up, and I found out that this was printed in the uh, September 1982 edition of the old Good News magazine. It's an article, it was within an article by Clayton Steep, but it's called, But What If Everything Goes Wrong? It's by somebody by the name of Art Dockin, who I do not know, but I'd like to read this here. But What If Everything Goes Wrong? The barracks was a long, narrow room with a door at one end and a single window at the other. Bare, unpainted wooden walls and worn, splintered floorboards made the room about as inviting as a county jail. Ancient cots, 10 to 15 of them, sat perpendicular to the wall. Equally aged pads served for mattresses and a single threadbare blanket lay on each bed to be used to ward off the near-freezing night chill. What few belongings the occupants possessed 
were hung from nails driven into the wall. The common toilet was in another building down a muddy street. The shower room was in another direction. The floor and one wall in the shower room were concrete. Out of the wall protruded several pipes from which poured water of one temperature, cold. Of course, there was no heat in any of the rooms. Sounds Sound like a prisoner of war camp? A young man who lived under the, those conditions wrote to the old Worldwide Church of God office in Manila, Philippines, some years ago, described his feelings during days at that camp. I thank God for making it possible for me to attend the Feast of Tabernacles, he wrote. This was, he said, the first time he'd ever slept on a real bed, the first time he'd ever used a shower. It was the first time he'd ever eaten three balanced meals in one day, fellowship with God's people, sang psalms, heard a choir singing praise to God, or listened to a minister of God preach a sermon. Yes, this young man was describing his first Feast of Tabernacles at Baguio City, Philippines. The drab barracks, cold showers, sparse meals, the rather inexperienced choir, and even the speakers were all something rare and wonderful to him. Now, he declared, I know what the world tomorrow will be like. I can imagine how wonderful it will be. This man truly rejoiced in the feast in spite of what many would have considered unbearably harsh conditions. For him, perhaps it was easy to rejoice. So much of what he experienced was new and better than he'd ever known before. It's unfortunate that many of us are not that blessed. And what he meant by that is we don't appreciate all the blessings that we have. Now, I'm sitting here recording this. There is a camcorder that's recording this. We can upload this so people can see this around the world. There is electricity. Uh, this room that I'm in does not need to be heated. Uh, matter of fact, it may get actually fairly hot here today. And technically, we could cool it down. And uh, we have a decent bed, uh, nice clothes. Uh, most of us uh, get enough to eat. And so at the Feast of Tabernacles, even if everything doesn't go quite the way you'd like, understand about this Filipino man who thought that something that sounded like a prisoner of war camp was a foretaste of the world tomorrow, the millennial kingdom of God. Well, the millennial kingdom of God will be more fantastic than people can imagine. We only get a foretaste of it during the Feast of Tabernacles. But this man thought just being having the fact that he could actually have a shower even though it was cold and sleep on some kind of a bed even though it wasn't that nice was just fantastic. And being able to eat. God commands his people to rejoice at the Feast of Tabernacles, no matter what the conditions. And yet, we're often beset with problems, both great and small, in preparing for and attending the feast. And uh, yes, we've all, well, met, those who have been around for a long time, yeah, we've had different problems and stuff uh, during the feast. You know, how can we rejoice if our car breaks down? The fact that we actually have a car, or can rent one, or get a ride in one, is, is a blessing. Or our accommodation is not as nice as we had hoped for. 
know, it, I know it's tough to rejoice when family member becomes ill and misses sermons or other activities. Does God really expect us to rejoice when everything seems to go wrong and we think we're having a terrible time? Yes, He does. Understand, God doesn't promise we'll have no problems. He doesn't command you to have a great time. He commands you to rejoice, and there's a difference. Certainly, most of us have a wonderful time at the feast. For the uh, many decades that I've uh, attended the feast, it was the highlight of the year. And you know, it's exciting to gather together with God's people. I'm not a great singer, but to sing praises to God with one voice and to hear sermons and sermonettes. But yes, we'll have problems. We all do, but that's part of the feast too. Before Jesus returns, the earth is going to be a chaotic mess. Um, let's read that. I didn't have this written down, but I want to go to Isaiah 24. I'll have this put up here. Isaiah 24, starting in verse 1. Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty and makes it waste distorts its surface, and scatters abroad its inhabitants. And it shall be, as with the people, so with the priest, and with the serf, servant, so with his master, with the maid, so with her mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, as with the leader, lender, so with the borrower, as with the creditor, so with the debtor. The land shall be utterly emptied and utterly plundered, for, I, for, the, for the eternal Yahweh has spoken this word. The earth mourns and fades away. The earth languishes and fades away. The haughty people of the earth languish. The earth is also defiled under its inhabitants because they've transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, the curse has devoured the earth, and those who dwell in it are desolate. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned and few men are left. Understand that is going to happen. That is going to happen to this world uh, uh, essentially because of the great tribulation and the day of the Lord. This is something that is going to be very terrible. This world is not going to last. It's going to be perhaps similar to the wasteland described in uh, Genesis 1-2. Someone's going to have to clean up this mess. So, right, didn't I say that the Millennial Kingdom will be fantastic? It will, but it's going to be starting out horribly. And you will have a role in rebuilding the wastelands. Talking to people who are scared, who've been uh, destitute from various things that are going to hit this planet. If you're faithful, you will be able to help rebuild this planet. It, turn this earth back into a paradise. And it will be those who are God's people, who live according to His ways, who are resurrected, who will be able to help people do that. Gathering and teaching Israel is going to be difficult. Uh, they're going to have been prisoners of war. 
uh, and basically ignorant of God's way of life. It's going to take patience to teach them the proper way to live. And that's just Israel. And all the other nations are going to require training. Uh, at least in many, in some of Israel, at least had some biblical exposure, whereas some of these other cultures won't have had any. But we're going to do it. We're going to patiently work with these people. Uh, just like we have to deal with uh, people who are not uh, Church of God uh, during the feast. Not everyone is going to rush to Jerusalem to accept God's ways. And I'm not going to read that here, but you can see that in Zechariah 14, uh, verses 16 to 19. And in Isaiah 30, 20 to 21, it says we've got to basically constantly be working with these people to show them the right way to go. So it's one of the reasons we need to learn at the feast. In Zephaniah 3, 9, we find out that... Uh, Humankind is going to learn a new language. You ever try to learn a foreign language? It takes a lot of time and patience right there. I've studied many, at least ten, and I'm not fluent in any except English. Uh, Bible in Isaiah 61, 4 says the waste cities are going to be rebuilt and they're going to be rebuilt properly. This means a lot of tearing down, a lot of cleaning up. We're going to have to solve massive problems of, of food and water supply, proper sanitary uh, facilities. But as it says in Micah 4.4, it's even providing vines and fig trees. Problems, certainly. But each Feast of Tabernacles, we'll see more and more people coming to rejoice before the Lord. Every year, greater numbers of people from every nation are going to venture to Jerusalem to learn the ways of God. See this in Isaiah 2 and uh, uh, Micah 4. As the years pass, there'll be less and less sickness, fewer dying of famine, less rebellion, less suffering on the earth. But that's going to take time. But at every feast, we'll be able to look back at the year, the tremendous progress that's been made during the Millennial Kingdom. Now, we've always encountered problems at the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, Clayton Steep wrote about hurricanes, wind, rain, and snowstorms that disrupted many feasts. And uh, two feasts, just at the end of the feasts, uh, my family's been affected by hurricanes. You say, but you don't live in an area that have hurricanes. That's true. But we went to places uh, that were affected by, by hurricanes. Uh, uh, Florida and the Bahamas. Now, one, th one thing uh, to consider is does the feast come right after, after harvest time for you? Or do you have trouble getting your kids excused from school? Or yourselves? And I've had to do this. The list of problems that we face could go on and on. Now some do complain. Some only see the feast in the light of pre the present. But we've got to look beyond that. Complainers sometimes seem to forget the words of the Apostle Paul. Romans 8, verse 18, wrote, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. Now remember that young man who rejoiced in spite of the primitive conditions in the Philippines. He was able to do that because he could see a contrast between what he'd always known in the world and the conditions he saw at God's feast. 
he rejoiced because he could see God's way was best. And he knew that in the millennium, God's ways would permeate the entire planet. Now, as far as I know, our, uh, my understanding is our members of the Philippines now enjoy better accommodations than the, the man uh, we're talking about here. But they're also still looking forward to the kingdom of God ruling on this earth, as should be all of God's people throughout the world, whatever circumstances they are, whatever continent they live in. You know, once you get through tests and trials, hopefully they've strengthened your resolve to stay closer to God. Now, related to Jesus, Hebrews uh, 2, 2 says, Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the stake, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus suffered a lot for us, and he didn't even have to do it. How much more should we endure petty problems that we encounter during God's feast? We need to wholeheartedly rejoice before our God. Learn at the feast. Be kind to one another. Show Christian love. Rejoice. And that's the message for the Feast of Tabernacles, not only in 2021, but every other year.